Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Good morning to everyone who is outside, inside, and watching online. Uh, glad that you are here with us in whatever way you are able to be here with us. Um, I, I want to, again, share a little bit of what I shared last week. You know, we are trying to do what we can to keep people safe we are meeting live. We do have outside available, and we do have minimal seating inside uh, available as well. And we do have some room in here for those of you outside. If it gets too hot, don't pass out on us or anything like that. Come on in. Um, and we will kind of keep you posted how things change as we are aware and see what things need to change. We are really trusting you to take care of yourself in so many ways. Um, I know that some people or some places are posting signs saying, you know, no masks if you're vaccinated. I I went to Starbucks the other day out in LA and they had two signs. They had one sign that said that no mask is necessary if you've been fully vaccinated. And I saw that sign and I went in, but there was another sign that I missed that said you must wear a mask. And so... You know, which sign do I believe now? This is kind of where things are right now. We're counting on you to take care of yourself. If you have not been vaccinated, they recommend you wearing a mask. We're not going to check your card or anything like that. But please take care of yourself uh, in these manners. Um, There are a few things else happening this week. This Friday night at 7 p.m., we are having a paint class. And I believe it, depending on how many people have signed up for the class, it is either going to be in the Genesis building room and the AA group will move to the works building, or it will be in the works building and the AA group will stay here. Um, If you come here, you'll know. There'll be someone here to direct you. But come here if you want to join the paint class. It's $20, which covers all the paints, the canvases, and supplies. Um, You can bring your own food and drink of your choice if you want to come sit here, hang out. Uh, I've been to a few of those. They're pretty fun. Um, If you enjoy painting, come on down. Also, um, we have another potluck planned later this month. We will keep you posted on if that's going to continue. Last night's was canceled uh, because Lydia and her family were sick. They don't have COVID, but they weren't feeling well, and they're still recovering, so be praying for them um, because we do want to see them healthy and uh, recovering completely. Um, A few other things. We are planning a support group for the Women's Resource Center, 
And this is an organization that compassionately offers alternatives to abortion and seeks to assist women through post-abortion conflict. If you're interested in something like that and would like to find out more about it, uh, talk to Eileen. And if we get enough people involved, we can set up a meeting and step into this arena. And so if you're interested, if this is something that's close to your heart, please talk to Eileen about it. Another opportunity to serve is with the Meals on Wheels. We've mentioned this once before, uh, but we haven't mentioned it again. There is an opportunity. There are a lot of people who are I don't know if you'd call them shut-in, but who don't go out, maybe they're elderly, unable to go out, who have food delivered to them, and we can participate in that. If you're wondering, what can I do? I'd like to be involved. I'd like to help in some way. Here is a way that you can help with the local Meals on Wheels. Uh, You can help in organizing portions, which is done at the First Presbyterian Church on Euclid here in Upland. And then drivers go out to the different communities to deliver food during the middle of the day. Again, if you would like to be a part of this, talk to Eileen and she can connect you with what's happening there. And it'd be great to be able to have some people to step into this. These are ways that we can uh, be of service and help. And so sharing these things so that we can continue to uh, help out in our community in what ways are um, needed. Many of you heard that there was an earthquake in Haiti. I think it was 7.2. I I text with Denise last night. All of our friends, the people who we are partnering with, are safe. Um, they're, of course, you know, uneasy, especially with the aftershocks and things that are happening there. And there is a storm that is coming, too, so that is kind of on the horizon. And I do want to pause and pray for not only the people who uh, we know there at Haiti, but the others as well. I heard there was about 300 people they know who have died. Um, and, and let's not only be praying about what's happened, but let's be praying about how we can step in and be again of help. This is something we don't want to leave behind us. We have partnered with for a reason and the people there in Haiti, and we want to still be a part of their lives. And so as we pray, let's pray about how opportunities might come where we can again step in and be a help to our family that is there. Let's pray. Father, it is so heartbreaking to hear more bad news coming from this country, from assassinations to earthquakes to hurricanes. Lord, these people have and are going through so much difficulty, and it feels overwhelming. I'm sure to them and even to us as to what we can do to be of help. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help this country, the people in this country, to be able to move forward in a way that is healthy for everybody. And we pray that those who are partnering with that country, the the churches, the schools, will be able to also assist and give them a hand at this time. Lord, 
they are in need. And if we have the means, show us how we can help the needs in a way that is going to be beneficial to the people there. I do pray you give us wisdom, them wisdom, and show mercy, Lord. I pray this storm is not uh, going to cause any more damage and difficulty to what's already happening there. But Lord, our hearts go out to them and we entrust them to you and put ourselves at your service to be of service to them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to continue going through our series, The Politics of Jesus, and we are going to have our scripture reading in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. So you can turn there in your Bibles as Mary comes up and reads for us. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Thank you, Mary. The politics of Jesus. It's neither right nor left nor religious. The politics of Jesus is all about the kingdom of heaven. Last week, we we talked about how Jesus is really dealing with what was common at that culture, where they would organize the commands of God. And remember when he's talking about commandments, he's talking about the Torah and also the prophets. And so he is talking about what they would understand clearly at their time because it was a part of their conversation where they would have what was called heavy commandments, those that were more weighty, those that were more important. And then they had the lighter commandments and they would divide those. A heavy commandment would be, you shall not commit murder. A lighter commandment would be that you shall not be angry against your brother. These were both commands that they had, but one was considered heavy and one was considered light. And when he says in verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, This, again, was common rabbi teaching. You've heard what has been said in the scripture. And then when it says, but I say to you, it it sounds because of that word, but like he's saying in contrast, it might 
more clearly be understood that, and I say to you. So the rabbi would say, oh, you have heard it said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Yes, if someone did murder, they would be liable to stand before the the council, and then they would be sentenced to death if they too were found guilty. And the idea of murder is not self-defense. It's not involuntary manslaughter. It is premeditated. You tried to kill someone. They found you guilty. Then you would be liable to the judgment. And when it says, but I say to you, he's saying, I'm telling you this as well. In other words, this is how I see that. And he's pushing into this, not to contradict it, but to understand it a little bit better. And when he says, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. This is, again, the same judgment is being prescribed for both of these, for murder and for being angry. Jesus is saying, I'm saying they're both liable for judgment. Now, it's important to understand that the words that Jesus is using, because there's a couple of words for anger. There's one word that's used that it's kind of like a match that flares up and then it dissipates, right? Years ago, when my brother and I were living in Hollywood, we had to wash dishes after dinner. We had a dishwasher, but we just had to rinse them out, you know, and I'm sure we complained, although I don't remember it now. But we were washing dishes and we got into a water fight right there at the sink. And we had one of those little hose things where you spray it and it washes, you know, the, with a higher pressure, the junk off the plate. And I, I, my recollection is my brother took that and squirted me with it. And so I had to get back at him. So what I did is I, I took this glass and it happened to be a very expensive uh, whiskey glass that my stepfather had. And I filled it up with water as my brother started running down the hall. And I remember my stepdad saying, do not break my whiskey glass. And I said something like, yeah, whatever, you know, and I grabbed it and I ran after my brother and I threw the water at him and the glass slid out of my hand and you heard the shatter. And then I heard my name, Sam, right? That's the kind of flare up anger that is one of the words. The word is actually the word thumos. But the other word for anger, the the word that's being used here is an ongoing state of angering, right? It's more of a person, don't be given to a continual state of being angry at, Right? I think I saw a meme somewhere recently that says, if everything bugs you, everything is not the problem. Right? The problem is you. The person who is given to angering is in this continual present tense of being upset. And so the, the person who commits murder and this continual angering have the same judgment, and they're both found in the Torah. And we are familiar with that, right? You shall not murder, but that you won't be angry. That one's a lighter commandment. That one's not so serious, right? That one's not as important. But what Jesus is doing is is he's adding some layers so that we can fine tune and see what's happening. James does this in James chapter four, when he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that you're 
passions are at war within you. In other words, it's what's happening within you that's the problem. And the point that Jesus is making is very clear. He is using hyperbole to help us understand. It's exaggerated language to help us understand. And so when he goes on and he says, whoever insults you, right? He's adding a layer of adding this idea of contempt or insult or name calling to this idea of anger. He wants to make it clear this exaggerated language to help us understand that this is where it starts. And he is building a bridge between the anger that takes place and the actions that show up afterwards. He's saying there is no place for this given to angering in the kingdom. And he's going to qualify that a little bit more later, right? But there is something that takes place within us that is not like the kingdom of God that Jesus is trying to make us aware of when we are in this state of angering. And gosh, aren't we right now in a continual state of angering? Doesn't that seem like what's happening in the media today constantly? It's funny because maybe you've heard this too, where, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, yeah, you know, that's the God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament, as if there's a, a difference. And I know we don't believe in those two, but really when we look at Jesus's words here, it seems like the God of Jesus is a little bit more strict than the God that maybe they have been familiar with. He is taking these things that we thought were light and he's elevating them because he is saying that this is an important part of what's taking place. At first impression, it looks like he's more strict. But he's trying to lay down something that is very important. And Jesus is about to give us a major whooping throughout this whole series. And it's one that we need to be awakened into the reality of maybe where we are. This is also in this judgment, an element of now and not yet, right? Anger leads to judgment now, right? Whether it be crimes, the name-calling leads to contempt and more hostility, but it escalates and we will be judged for that anger. We will be judged for where this anger takes us. We will be judged for how this plays out in our life. Now, Jesus isn't saying that anger and murder are equal. I would much rather you be angry with me than you kill me. He's not equating these. He's, again, building the bridge between the heart and the action. If you dealt with this kind of anger, you would not have the murder. If you dealt with this at the heart level, it would change the reaction. And it's not enough to say, well, I didn't kill anybody, so I am righteous, which is what the Pharisees were saying. And Jesus is pushing into that and saying, this type of anger, if you display it, you are not righteous. Because this is at the heart of the matter. And 
he gives two illustrations on how to get rid of this anger. And they're really easy, but they're also very difficult. They're easy in their explanation. They're difficult in their execution, right? Like so many things. Oh, it's easy to understand a concept, but the application is where we have some problems. And the first way is to make reconciliation. And the second way is to go and make friends. That's really his answer to the problem of anger, right? And there's this internal discourse that we are having. So in verse 23, when he says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, he is talking to people who are about 80 miles away from Jerusalem where they would offer that sacrifice. So it's roughly a three days journey. So he's telling these people, if you go to make the offering in Jerusalem and then you're at the temple and you're in the place to offer that and they're getting ready to make the offering and then you remember, oh, my friend has something against me. It's not even I have something against them. It's they have something against me. And it's not even telling us that it's right or wrong. It's just saying, hey, they are upset with you. Before you try to make this offering of worship to God, you need to go make it right. So you're going to be at the offering. You're going to be there. The priest is there. You're ready to make offering. And someone, oh, I remember Jimmy, he's upset with me. Oh, hold up. I'll be right back in six days. Right? Do you see the extreme that he's talking about, right? This hyperbole, you know, you're in danger of the fire of hell. If your eye offend you, pluck it out. If you're at the offer, wait, go back and reconcile. He's trying to show us how important this is, where you would stop, travel three days back, go say, hey, buddy, I know you're upset with me. I need to reconcile things with you, and then I can go back and get things right. You're getting ready to make the offering. Wait a second, something important is here. Because anger is such a cancer that it will eat at the heart of the kingdom. And dealing with this anger is more important than worship. So much so that you would travel this distance to make it right. That's the contrast that Jesus is painting with this. And then he moves to the external towards us. Verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. The idea come to terms quickly means have a disposition of friendliness. Have a dif- this disposition of friendliness with your adversary. There is urgency and priority here because it matters intently to the politics of the kingdom. If you don't, judgment will have its way. And so... 
Jesus will say things like, with what measure you judge, it will be judged to you. We have to settle these things by actually befriending it. Because it goes together. When I used to work in construction and fire sprinklers, when we would put together the riser where all the controls were for the fire sprinkler system, the alarm would be there, the drain would be there, and we'd have to put these things together on the main pipe that fed the whole system. And there would be a drain pipe, and we'd have to cut usually a hole through the building where the pipe would go out and drain and then it would attach to the riser. And to connect those things, we needed a coupling. And it was a galvanized pipe that we used so it would not rust as quickly. But the galvanized unions, when they made them, they made them out of one piece, and then they machined them so that you had to have both pieces of that same union. In other words, it came apart so you could attach one to this piece and one to that piece, but you needed the union of that one so that it would work. Because if I took half of this union and half of another union that weren't machined together, you could put them together and it would leak because they weren't machined together. This hostility, this angering does not fit, will not work. It will leak in the kingdom of heaven. It, It doesn't go with who and what God is. It's against his politics. And so if we're holding on to this anger, if we are not dealing with this, if we are not trying to reconcile with this, if we aren't trying to befriend those who have odds against us, then we are not fitting into the kingdom mentality. And it's not going to hold water. It's not going to be able to do what it needs to do. Now, we, we want to be careful that we don't make this some something that it's not. Jesus is not saying... Just don't call people names. Just always be nice because Jesus called the Pharisees names. He called them serpents. He called them in one sense almost like morons, right? And it's like, well, wait a second. You just said not to call them, you know, fools. What, what's the deal here? So is there an anger that's okay, that's justified in the kingdom? It would appear so. It would appear that Jesus did it, so it's okay because he's the example here. But how did he do it differently? How did he do it in a non-angering way? How did he do it in a way maybe that's different than how we see it practiced in our own lives? And there are three places, maybe four if you include the cleansing of the temple, where it doesn't actually say Jesus was angry but it quotes a scripture where it says, you know, his zeal burned in him, so he seemed like he was angry. But there's three other places where it's said that Jesus was angry. And one is the man with the withered hand, where the Pharisees are watching to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, Jesus would say to them? To save life or kill it? And it says that they were silent. And Jesus looked around them with anger. He was angry at them because of their position on this issue and their silence to answer him, something that seemed to be the answer to what was happening. 
Another place is when the disciples were keeping the children from coming to Jesus. It says that he was indignant and said, do not stop them from coming to me. And then the third time is at the tomb of Lazarus where it says twice that he was moved or he became indignant at the people who were not trusting, mourning, and the people who were not believing. So it's possible to fulfill Torah and be angry. And even Paul quotes, I think it's the Proverbs when he says, in your anger, do not sin. But then the issue is, when is it okay and when isn't it? How do I put this to work in my life? And every time we get angry, it's interesting because whenever I'm upset, I'm usually feeling righteous. In other words, I usually feel that I am right and that's why I'm upset. They've upset me because they've done something wrong from my perspective. And we have this feeling of righteousness. Now, later on, I can look back and say, you know what? I was kind of being a jerk. And then my wife might be able to attest to that. But at the time, I felt right. I felt justified. I felt like I had the reason to be this. Later, I find out that I was really out of line. But at the time, I felt right. What did Jesus get angry about? About religious hypocrisy? About silencing those who were marginalized and wanted to come to God and putting roadblocks or hurdles in between them and God? And so is my anger directed at the same things that Jesus' anger is? Or is it towards something else, right? It's towards the person in front of me who's taking too long with their order at Starbucks. Like, come on, you should have that ready by now. See, that's a little different than Jesus' anger, right? This is kind of self-serving, mine is. Or the person who said something I thought was dumb on the internet. So I'm upset with that. The bigger question, I guess, is what did Jesus do with his anger? Well, he healed a man with a shriveled hand. He welcomed the kids and blessed them. Oh, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's a good one. And with the temple... He cursed the practices that were taking place and died to replace them. That's how Jesus responded in anger. My anger usually comes from a place of pride. I'm right, you're wrong. Now, I I might actually be right, but did it qualify for the type of angering that I had? And did it result in healing? Did it result in reconciliation? Did it result in life? Did it show sacrificial love? I have a confession. 
this was a hard one for me because I was getting angry a lot this week and then I have to go talk about it. And it's like, oh man. My daughter has been working at the hospital and they're pretty overwhelmed right now with COVID cases, people in the ER where they don't have a place for them. There are literally people who are needing to be admitted and there's no rooms for them available. Or there's people in the hallways up against walls and they're having to, again, put people who are with COVID in places so that they're segregated from the other people who are sick at the place. And she comes because we watch her dog. She drops her dog off you know, at our house because then she's there for a 12-hour shift. She goes there and she comes back and it's like a debrief, right, where she starts talking to us about her day. And it's hard to see the pain in her as she's sharing about the frustration of all the things that are going on. And as she's having to talk to people who brought their 40-year-old dad in and the wife is there with the three kids and he went home for a little bit, came back with COVID and now it doesn't look like he's going to make it and then she finds out, yeah, he died and she has to talk to the family about these things. They are offering nurses, not here only, but in other places, $30 an hour more to work extra shifts because they are so overwhelmed and the nurses are saying no because they cannot handle it. It is too much to have to see this and step into it. And she's doing it every day. She's having to work for these 12 hours. And so hearing this from her and feeling this from her, it hurts me to see her in this condition, right? And so someone who I hadn't spoken to in years posted something on Instagram And I responded to it in a way um, that was pretty snarky, right? It was pretty curt how I I said, you know, they said something about, you know, the vaccine is the problem and, you know, people are just not aware of what's happening. And everyone who has been hospitalized and who has died, at least from my daughter's position in the times that she works, everyone who has been hospitalized and died are people who have not been vaccinated. I know that there are breakthrough situations, but in her experience, everyone, not 90%, everyone. And, And so I'm shooting all this information and I'm just, you know, just, I'm bringing it. I'm just, I'm going to seal all the cracks. I'm going to answer this. And I'm doing it in a way that isn't healing. I'm doing it in a way that isn't blessing. I'm doing it in a way that by no means is raising life into the situation. And it sure as hell is not sacrificially caring for anybody, but trying to prove myself. And and as I'm doing that, and I'm all thinking about this, and I'm sitting here kind of, studying and trying to, you know, just keeps coming back to me, you know, this, what I wrote, and I'm here doing a study about being angry, and I'm trying to just deal with this, and as I am replying to what I so brilliantly wrote to this person, making my airtight case, how I'm right, they're wrong, I felt as if Jesus is just looking at me and just going, really? 
do you, do you see what I'm saying here? You're, you're reading this, really? This is how you will respond? And so before I could finish this, I wrote an apology. Let's see, I could tell you how long ago it was. 12 hours ago. I wrote an apology for my attitude. I, I still think I'm right in what I was sharing. But I wasn't right in how I was sharing it. So much of what fuels partisan politics and the tensions that are between us today is anger. This angering mentality. Both sides vilify the other as evil, monsters, idiots. Instead of trying to bring blessing, healing, life, we bring a lot of heat but no light. And I'm not always in a place where I can engage in this with the direction of healing, blessing, or bringing life or being sacrificial, I'm just not always there. This, this is sometimes, it eludes me. And I, I know it does you too, maybe in different degrees. But there is so much more to be said here. There, there is so much to be angry about, and there's so much that is fueling our anger that we just get swept up in it. And the remedies almost assume that we're going to mess up. In other words, Jesus is telling us what to do, knowing that we're going to have a hard time. When you go to the altar to, to worship God and remember someone has something against you, when this happens, settle matters, befriend that situation. You see, admit, we, we don't have a lock on what is right or wrong for everyone in every situation. I think I do, at the time especially, but we just don't. I, I don't have all the information. Even now, things continue to change, and as we continue to learn, we start to understand things differently. Same thing's true with the scriptures. I, I understand more of the scriptures now than I, I did 10 years ago, and man, I think back to some of the things I taught years ago, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm sorry. I was just talking with someone this morning, and we are kind of talking about how, you know, when sometimes you go somewhere and you hear something, you say, oh, man. That's, I'm glad I'm where I'm at and not where I used to be. And Jesus is going to go on to tell us to love our enemies and to bless those who curse us. All right, that's what I'm talking about. He's going to give us a whooping. He's going to show us how far we are away from this kingdom understanding. He's going to expose the core of where this anger is at, and it really is stemming from this pride. David Brooks had an article dealing with the politics and what he calls siege mentality, right? Our political party, group, tribe, our faith, our systems that we see as under siege, right? We, we feel like they're being attacked. And a Yale professor, Amy Chula, made the case that every group, this was amazing, every group, right, left, 
gay, straight, black, white, rich, poor, Christian, Muslim, every group felt collectively victimized. Everyone. And because of their feeling of victimization, they were unable to see the victimization of any other group. And this creates an increasing pessimism. It's never been this bad. Oh, this election, the whole country is weighing in the balance. They've been saying that for as long as I can remember elections. And it continues to be this way. It continues to just put in this pessimism. And if we don't get things right now, it's all over. If one group wins, the other has to lose because they're that polar opposite. There is this inability to see any other issue except the one we are feeling victim to. And this way of thinking is very appealing. It brings a sense of clarity. It provides a sense of nobility. We are right. We are trying to do the good thing. They're doing what's wrong. They're doing what's evil. It gives people a narrative to express their own superiority. Without saying those words, that's exactly what ends up getting said. And this is the easiest way to motivate people, but it is so unlike the kingdom. And until we see that in ourselves, anger is going to have its way. This doesn't mean that some of us aren't persecuted, or it doesn't mean that we aren't right about certain things or have to be quiet and not voice our opinion. It's about the angering attitude that starts to fuel how we converse and how we see others and what is our aim And if it's not reconciliation, and if it's not befriending, if it's something that is self-serving, it again is not like Jesus' anger that produced healing, that produced life, that produced friendship. They have found that when people vent their anger aggressively, they often feel worse and they only get angrier. Angering will keep us in that siege mentality where we have to defend ourselves because we're under attack. There's a place to voice our pain, our frustration, our views, but the angering mentality snowballs and it only gets worse. If we allow the politics of the kingdom to fight against the anger and contempt in our own hearts, I think a lot of good can come out of this. There's a man named Daryl Davis. And he's a black man, plays blues piano. And he he tells the story of how years ago he was at this club and he was playing. And this white guy came up to him and says, man, I really like the way you play. I've never heard a black man play piano like you did. And he was intrigued. What do you mean? He goes, well, you play a lot like Jerry Lee Lewis. And he goes, well, where do you think Jerry Lee Lewis learned how to play like that? And he goes, well, I think, you know, he invented it. And he goes, no, there was Fats Domino, there was Little Richard, there was all these people. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. Jerry Lee Lewis started this. And he started talking to the man, and they end up telling him, you know, this is the first time I ever had a drink with a black man. He goes, oh, it is? Why? And he goes, well, because I'm part of the Ku Klux Klan. 
And he thought he was joking. No. He goes, no, I am. And he showed him. He pulled out his card and said, yeah, I'm here. I'm a part of the Ku Klux Klan. Well, Daryl started having a conversation with this guy, and he befriended him. And he started communicating with him. And it wasn't long before this guy came up to him and he says, you know what? There's something not right here. There's a, a, there's a gap between who you are and what I've been told. That I think I've been told a lie. And he ended up leaving the Ku Klux Klan and giving Daryl his white cloak. Daryl has gone on and by befriending people has had 200 members of the Ku Klux Klan leave and give them their robes, give him their robes. And he's got them in his closet. And he always jokes about that. Like, what am I doing with 200 Ku Klux Klan robes in my closet? It started over a dialogue with music. It can happen over food. It can happen over sports over the Dodgers. There are ways to befriend or come to terms with people that will do a lot more than arguing how our position is right to bring about change that looks a lot more like the kingdom and the way Jesus demonstrated his anger. This issue isn't disagreeing, right? We, we have to disagree with some things. When, when we do, we do it generously. We do it gently. We do it thinking of others. Recently, my father-in-law and mother-in-law took Karina and I out to dinner because it was my birthday. And we were having a conversation and there are things that I see differently than them, that I disagree with on them. But these people have helped me out, have helped us out so much. They have loved us so well that I have so much respect for him that when I talk to him, I cannot talk to anyone but a person that I respect extremely. And so I want to be very careful of what I say. I'm not there to prove myself right. I I am there to bless him with some things that I think will be helpful. And that's a big difference than bringing a conversation to a place where, hey, look it, I'm right, you're wrong. I'll throw my Bible verses at you. I'll throw my history at you. And I will win this argument. How can I do that to someone who has loved me so well? Why would I do that? And what would happen if we took that attitude and put it towards everyone we had the conversation with? What if I had that attitude with this person I commented to on Instagram? It would have been a different conversation. It could continue as a conversation instead of trying to shut the door and seal the deal. You see, there's an angering that is in danger of judgment. And as far as where it is in comparison to the kingdom, it's like hell and the kingdom is here because it does not look anything like the kingdom and it does not look anything like the anger that Jesus displayed. And this is the politics of Jesus. That even in our anger, we bring life. Even in our anger, we bring blessing and healing. 
I'm still chewing on this because it hit home with me. Karina and I got in an argument last night where I was sure I was right, like I always am. And I was a jerk. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for this conversation that I had, that I misrepresented the kingdom. And I'm thankful for grace. And I'm thankful for this lesson that spoke to me. Almost feels like these things happened. And Jesus was there saying, really? And so I hope it challenges you as much as it's challenged me of how we step into this and what we do with anger and how we see this in the politics of Christ. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Even as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, help us to understand how your kingdom works and what place anger has in our lives and in your kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would not back down from what is true or what is right, but we would not step in with an angering attitude, that we would step in with grace with humility, with gentleness, kindness. That we would be the poor in spirit, the merciful, the peacemakers. That our anger would reflect these characteristics at the same time. And Lord, in this season where we find ourselves in our country with the divide growing and growing, growing with the arguments about Republican, Democrat, vaccinated, not vaccinated, and all the other things in between. In a country divided, might we be the the healing balm that brings about peace? that befriends those on the other side. That brings life into the conversation that reconciles and shows care. May we be that light. And help us to see when we step into that angering mentality that that's exactly what we're doing. Lord, help me to catch it before it escalates. God, help me to catch it before I write anything down. Before I open my mouth and hurt the people I love that you love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May our worship be preceded by reconciliation and friendship. May we see that we love God when we love one another. May we not be given into anger. It takes us from the politics of Jesus. God bless you guys. Love you. 
Have a wonderful week. Take care. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.